Hey everybody, welcome to episode number seven of Mendoza Line. My name is Cam and I am joined by Nick. And I don't know about you, Nick, but I am very excited to be here right now. I am as well. It's always good to, to talk to you. It's always good to talk about baseball. We're almost through April. Time is flying, which is crazy, but yeah, it's good to be here tonight. Indeed. And tonight we're going to start off our show with follow-up, which I believe this is the first follow-up we've ever had. Am I correct in, in that thought? Yes. Groundbreaking for the Mendoza Line podcast. We have follow-up. We do. And uh, our follow-up is in reference to the uh, Dodgers and Giants, which we talked about on episode six. So, Nick, why don't you uh, tell us what that follow-up is, please? Yes, we were we were talking about those rivalries last week, and there's a few details I'll sketchy on. So I reached out to my my dad, Gary Coates, because I knew he's a big baseball, uh, history of baseball guy, really enjoys listening. So I knew that he would know the answer, know where to look right away, some of the more concrete facts surrounding that. So so I reached out to him, and he gave me a bunch of, bunch of stuff just about um, the whole situation. So we were talking about the Dodgers and the Giants, how they were both in New York with the Yankees. Um, and then in 1957 was when they both moved out to the West Coast. And what was interesting was it was kind of a how the owners um, just did the whole situation was evidently both teams had to move at once or neither of them could. I'm not sure the, I guess, the underlying factors behind on that, but which they end up did, obviously. Um, and like we kind of talked about, Last week, it was a lot of it had to do with money. Obviously, booming population in the '50s. There wasn't really any teams on the West Coast at that time, so it's a really good opportunity for both of them. So, I mean, it was, a, it was a big rivalry. So, obviously, that changed that rivalry from that point. And they're still rivals now, but they're separated by you know a whole coast of California. Whereas back then, they were just a few miles apart, and they played all sorts of games together. So, yeah, it was kind of cool to hear the story behind that and. Um, just thinking back at the, the players at that time, you know, the Giants had Willie Mays, the Dodgers had Jackie Robinson. So, I mean, it, it was a big deal for New York um, at the time and um, definitely changed the land, landscape of baseball. But as, as is in most, I guess, decisions that are made in sports leagues as far as relocation, most of the time it has to do with money. So it's worked out pretty well for both franchises. And then the Mets, we were talking about, um, they, ca- they came in five years later in 1962 as an expansion franchise. And what I did not know was that, okay, so their main colors are blue and orange, which came from the Dodgers and Giants. Obviously, the Dodgers' primary color is blue and the Giants is orange. And I guess the idea behind that was to, to reach out to those fans of the Dodgers and Giants that, you know, had lost their team in previous the previous five years and you know those those same fans that could never be Yankees fans because it kind of one of those deals where you were you liked one of those teams but you know if you did it if you didn't like the Yankees then you you weren't going to just root for them because there was no other team so in an appeal to reach out to those fans they made the color scheme with the Mets to be orange and blue which is still you know present day um what the, the Mets colors are so yeah, that was kind of cool. I never knew, I guess, the story behind uh, the Mets colors, first of all, but I, I knew the Mets came in as a franchise, but it was just, you know, five years after that. Um, so yeah, I mean, just a lot of history behind connections between all those teams um, to present day. So yeah, my dad, he was telling me some other stuff too about when the, the Dodgers moved out to where they're uh, Dodger Stadium is now in Chavez Ravine. Chavez Ravine, I guess there's people living there actually at the time, and through eminent domain, they you know forced all those people out to build that stadium. It was a really ugly situation, but I don't know. He he sent me some other stuff too. He was just full of information, but yeah, it was kind of cool to yeah just learn a bit more about that history, the the dates of all that, and. He actually followed up with a couple of questions too, which I think. We're yeah, gonna... this is this is officially becoming the episode of Gary, which I'm totally okay with. <laughs> yeah, I think he's one of our more faithful listeners, so we want to send him some love. Appreciate the feedback. 
And yeah, I, definitely. That's really helpful stuff. I mean, he's the reason why I probably like baseball so much. But yeah, he's very he's very knowledgeable of the history and stuff. So anytime, Gary, if, if you're listening to this, you, we say some stuff or something comes to mind, make sure to send it our way. Yes, be our guiding light, please. All right, so that's it for follow-up, but I do have one thing that I do, I do want to talk about. Um, there is this thing called Beat the Streak going on that Major League Baseball is putting on, and it's a contest of sorts where you or I can uh, get the app, and then the, the whole gimmick is um, – Joe DiMaggio's hit streak of 56 hits, or 50, yeah, 56 consecutive games with the hit is never going to be broken. That's the theory. So they put together this contest where you get to pick any player on any Major League Baseball team, one player per day, and if you can pick 56 players in a row that get a hit on the day that you pick them, you will win $5.6 million. Um, I'm interested in winning that kind of money. I don't know about you, Nick. Uh, I could use it. Yeah, I, so, know, I could use that too, but So here's here's my dilemma with this though, is that I'll get to like two or three days and then I forget to pick a guy and then I lose my streak. Um and I realize that two or three is nowhere near fifty six, but you know if I'm picking correctly, it's just a matter of time. I just have to I have to forget. So what's interesting is yesterday I picked Dexter Fowler. But he went O for O, no official at bat, but I still got credit because he didn't miss really so i think that i think that's a glitch in the system but i'm gonna mm. take it uh but i've yet to pick my player for today so i thought perhaps uh with your guidance nicholas that i could make my pick here on the episode well i would have said if you owned any cubs in their series against the reds you probably would be pretty safe that they would have gotten a hit but alas, there's, that series is over. Yes. So, I mean, I think the Rockies are always a team to look to, especially if they're playing in Colorado at that higher elevation. The odds yes, are that they're, they're, they're going to a lot of hits there. They're going against Pittsburgh tonight, and Jeff Lockie is pitching for them. It doesn't look like he's that good this year. His ERA is high anyhow. Uh, yeah, he's... Hmm. He's definitely hittable. So the question then is, which Colorado Rockies? Oh, Ryan Rayburn's on the Rockies? I didn't realize that. I don't think he's Gross. a full-time player. Yeah. You know their best player, Nolan Arenado. He might be a safe choice. You think so? Is Trevor Story still going crazy? Oh, his average has dropped a lot. Yeah, he he's an all-or-nothing guy. He's pretty much home run or strikeout. He has a really high strikeout percentage. So uh, as right. far as like so, playing the odds for a hit, you might want to avoid him, but watch him go out and get five hits tonight. All right. Nolan Arenado it is. I have submitted my pick. I'll report back next week. See how that goes. Yeah. You can also double down, which means if you you can pick a second guy, and if they both get a hit, you get two towards your streak. But if one guy gets a hit and one guy doesn't, you start you back at zero. So yeah, it's pretty risky. See, the reason why I'm hesitant to do this sort of things is I know I would get to like the high 40s or 50s and just be a nervous wreck <laughs> and like pick the wrong guy or whatever and then lose it all. So, well, I, you know, you just need to give it a try, Nick. You know, you don't know unless you try. That's true. That's what Yoda said, right? No, he said, do or do not, there is no try. So I guess essentially that's what he was saying, <laughs> I suppose. But hey, Nick, I've got a question for you. What's that, do you Do you think that the streak will ever be broken? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to say never, but 56 games is a lot. And it's so hard to get a hit just in general. And even back then, I mean, you had guys that... Ted Williams hit 400, you know, back in that era. I mean, people just, it was, it's a different era, different. The pitching wasn't as good. You don't, I mean, these days you have so many guys that are throwing 99, 100 miles an hour. 
you have so many guys that just don't play every day who you know swing and miss a lot so i just, i think the odds are pretty low especially i mean now nowadays too when the media like if you get up to 30 games or so every single bat scrutinized that's just so much pressure yeah so yeah i i mean it's tough to say never but i don't think in our lifetime we'll ever see it yeah, yeah. The whole on, on an infinite time scale argument, of course, something you know will will beat it. But it just it's it seems to me, yeah, to your point, the pitching is too good now. There are too many specialists now, um, right. and too many too many managers willing to play matchup with the bullpen right. against good against good hitters. That the odds are. Uh, not in the hitter's favor whatsoever when it comes to that. Because like you said, once they get to, you know, even 20 or 25 games, everyone knows. Mm-hmm. It's on, I mean, it's all Baseball Tonight's talking about. It's all you're getting asked about in the press conferences. Like, oh, are you, is your is your pitching staff going to be the one that shuts him down for a game? And so, yeah. yeah there's I, just I, I, so many, ex- like, extenuous circumstances because I mean, you can, you have to get a hit. You can't just like walk four times, or yeah. So I mean, it feels like an on base streak. That's more likely, but yeah, I don't, I just don't see it. It's I mean, fifty six games. That is that's a lot of games in a consecutive fashion. So it would be, it would oh, be for fun. Sure. I mean, every time that someone gets over twenty five thirty. It's always a big deal, but yeah, I just can't imagine the pressure of every single at bat, and even on the pitchers too. Once you get up that high, but I guess we'll see. Well, I know for a fact that I will not be the one that beats the streak. Well, if you do, I mean, like you said, you're trying, and so far I have not. So you have better odds than I do. Oh, uh, I, I meant, I meant in real life, like actually hitting. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna win I'm gonna win the contest. I'm just I, I baseballs I I can't hit to save my life. But yeah, I think we've exceeded an, prospect age, unfortunately. So our our major league dreams are whatever. Ryan Howard was like forty when he came up. <laughs> yeah, I think I've officially given up. I think when I realized, yeah, that most people playing are younger than me now, I was like, well, I think that ship has sailed. <laughs> Yes. All right. Let's look at the standings, good sir. Yeah, there's the Orioles are still first place in the East, surprisingly. Um, but well, again, what's surprising is is how bad everyone else is record wise well, in that in that division. Trying to pick a winner at, in the winter about this. And yeah, I, I think some of it's coming to fruition of just a lot of average teams. So they're all, I mean, even the Yankees who are in last has seven and 10 are only four back. Uh, the Orioles are still doing pretty well. Lost today to the Royals though. But yeah, everyone else is right around 500. I think the Blue Jays, the more that I think about it, I think they're going to go on a run somewhere down the line and end up winning. So I'm not feeling quite as strong about my Red Sox pick. But, yeah, it's pretty close. The Central, the the White Sox are in first. Uh, the Royals are just a half game behind. But your Tigers, they're starting to fade a little bit. Four uh, in a row. Circle, circling the bowl, man. So, yeah, and the Twins are still... Yes. Well, it's this this is what happened to the Tigers last year too. They got off to that crazy hot start, just like the Royals did, and the Tigers came back down to earth, and the Royals didn't. So it's it's all playing out again. Yeah, I think it's going to be a three team race all season between the White Sox, Royals, and Indians. Unfortunately, and those are just those are three pretty good teams. Although the White Sox, I think the jury's still out a little bit. Well, and the Tigers are only four games out of first, so they are, and they're only one game, one game under five hundred. They yeah. just need to, you know, right the ship. And and Miguel Cabrera hasn't really done anything yet, and I think he will. He's not that old. No, but to your point, it, it, when your best player 
the player that your lineup is built around is not hitting, then, you know, and the Tigers never won because they were beating people two to one. They were, they win games because they outscore people. So yeah, if his, if his hitting woes continue, then it might be a long season, but he's, he's too good to be bad for too long. Yeah. He's the best, best hitter on the planet. The West is God, equally as bad pretty, as the East. Pretty Goodness bad. Gracious. The a- A's and Rangers and Mariners are all tied with nine losses. The Astros, my World Series pick, bringing up the rear at six and twelve. Yeah, winning but a solid one third of their games. Still only three and a half back because of so all the mediocrity. I think their their talent will eventually rise. To the top, but. Well, yeah, because we're looking at teams that have played 18 and 19 games, and that's wow, one, like, uh, not quite an eighth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like we, we've okay. So most teams have played 18, 19 games. We are uh, we got 143 to go. <laughs> so just, why is the season so long? Not too many hot oh takes here. Well. It's six months long. It's from April to the end of October, basically, for the playoffs. Right, but why do they have to play every day? It's just how it's always been. Baseball's, it's not phys- physically extenuating, so. I mean, they're not, these guys are getting paid a gajillion dollars, so might as well get your money's worth, you know? Yeah, but I'm sure that if you break it, uh, salary down by on a per game basis. I bet it doesn't even compare to NFL. Probably. Oh no, not at all. But people still go. I mean, attendance is good. There's no other like major sports in the summer. Well, um, there's soccer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna convert you, Nick. I'm gonna convert you. Um. To each his own, you know. I'm I'm glad that you like soccer. I I like I like soccer as much as you like baseball. I I know, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm where most people are with baseball with soccer, but that's probably yeah, for another podcast. America, America, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, National League. Well, the Nationals are still doing all right. Fourteen and four. Yep, they're still playing terrible teams and beating them. Well, they're doing their job. They won in 16 innings today over the 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 Twins to sweep them. But yeah, the the Mets are they swept the uh, Braves. That's that's kind of their we're starting to separate here between it's going to be a Nationals and Mets race all year in the East. The Central's also kind of shaping up. The the Cubs just I was ta- I was talking to you they. Just finished up a four-game series with the Reds, and it was the Reds actually won last night, but the other three games were just a bloodbath. It was awful. I'm so tired of playing the Cubs. We're one and six against them this year, and I think all all those losses were just by blowout. So, yeah, they're 14 and five, first place. Cardinals and Pirates are pretty much 500. Yeah, there's Cubs are good. They're not, yep, they're and not going away. We'll talk more about them later. Uh, and then out west, you've got the Dodgers at eleven and seven, and then the Rockies and Diamondbacks are both one game over five hundred. And then the Giants and the Padres are two to four games uh, below. So again, there's just there's a four game span from first to last. Um, and there's only a six-game span in the Central, so while it's easy to look at the Cubs at 14 and five, and the Milwaukee Brewers at eight and 11, and go, "Oh my gosh, the Brewers are terrible," you realize hmm, a good series here and a good series there, and that's that's you know totally washed. So very true. Still, still too early. But if if we can extrapolate the trends that we're seeing, it's it's pretty obvious that you know come game, you know come the All Star break, that it will be fairly uh, obvious who is going to continue to 
do well and, and who has already ruined the season. Yeah, I think from what I see in the National League, the cream is kind of rising to the top already in the divisions. You know, most people would have said, you know, Nationals and Mets, Cubs, Cardinals, Pirates, Dodgers, Diamondbacks, and Giants. I mean, the Giants are two day, two games under, but, I mean, most of those teams are at the top, you know, towards the top. I think the National League is going to pretty much – there's not going to be much change to that over the course of the year. You know, those teams are going to fight it out, obviously, and not everyone can make the playoffs. But So they'll be intrigued there. But the Phillies, Marlin Braves, Reds, Brewers, Padres, and probably the Rockies, they're not – they're not like I think they even would say they're not actively trying to win this year with the teams they're putting out there. But the American League, I think, is still pretty wide open. I really, beside, I mean, I think everyone will say that the Royals will be there just because they have proven it and most of their team is back. But I think anything else, like nothing, is completely out of the out of the question. I think the Twins are probably the only team i would say that yeah they're they're not going to be in it at the end of the year but i could think <laughs> i think everybody else has a chance still maybe i'm wrong we'll see but yeah still plenty of intrigue but yeah it's interesting to see kind of the difference with, between even the leagues so yeah it'll be interesting to see all right let's move on to some quick news before we get to our main topics uh, so i saw an article and some stuff on Twitter that upon Jason Hayward's return to St. Louis as a Cub, that it was audible on ESPN that the St. Louis Cardinals fans were dropping the N-bomb repeatedly at him. I'm shocked. Well, they're they're the best fans in, in baseball, Nick. Don't you know that? I'm absolutely shocked that people would <laughs> still do that. Notice well, my you know, heavy sarcasm. It's, yeah. And he said... Uh, he didn't hear that part. He knew they were booing him, but he said, you know, if they're booing, it means that they were mad to see me leave. So he goes, I got that going for me. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, there's a there's this Twitter account. I think it's called Best Fans in Baseball. And basically this guy just finds all these, like, lowlifes on social media and, like, retweets the things that they say. Like, they tweet at players and just, like, all these just horrific, like, just horrible things that people say to other people that I don't think they would ever say, like, to their face, you know? So, I mean, it's, that doesn't represent everyone I know, but it's just your, your classic case of, you know, he played for the Cardinals last year, bolted for the rival this year. I think even for less money than the Cardinals were offering. And, you know, you can't really fault a guy if he has a choice on where he wants to go that he chooses one place and that's his decision, you know. I think it's just an example of people uh, identifying a little too closely with uh, their favorite sports teams and then deriving or unleashing their hate and bitterness on people that I don't I just don't understand but it's a sad indictment but I mean that goes on everywhere I'm sure all right so now that I've uh, googled this for the uh the article I saw turns out that it might have been a hoax and not have actually happened that the people called him names yeah, so there was a tweet that said ESPN needs to be very careful with opening up their crowd mics. There are absolutely nasty things being said about uh, towards Hayward right now. And so that was the tweet that started the whole thing, and somehow that morphed into fans were dropping the N-bomb. Well, I'm sure it happened. Uh, uh, anyways, I'll put the link to this article that explains the whole situation in the show notes so you can see exactly what was going on because clearly I fell for it too. Well, on the um, on that Twitter account I referenced, there were plenty of things that were said to like towards Hayward's Twitter account that were similar in nature. So maybe it wasn't at the game, but and then again, you're you're probably talking about 
you know, low lifes on the internet, which there are plenty of them that don't represent the general population. So definitely. Yeah. All right. Next up. There's this funny article on ESPN. Um, <laughs> Noah Syndergaard throws so hard he leaves marks on his catcher, and it's a picture of his uh, catcher's chest uh, after the game where he caught a ball like off the you know, edge of his <laughs> glove or whatever, and it shows uh, the, like the stitching from the baseball on his chest. And that was a um, funny picture. Well, and then my comment was, "Who shaves their chest? Aren't you <laughs> a man? Aren't you a man?" It post it to the entire yeah. world yeah i was i was disappointed in his choice well, i shaved it's... my i shaved my chest once and i looked like i was 12 so i never did it again well i was always told that when it, it was like extremely itchy when it would grow back so i never never did that well you know i suppose uh you know, to each their own, but I'm going to judge you if you shave your chest. I'm just saying. Well, Noah Syndergaard does throw 100 miles an hour, and he also throws in like a 93-mile-an-hour slider, which I would, someone was they were talking about today, and that was the his slider is faster than, it was like Felix Hernandez, Zach Greinke, like all these like really good pitchers faster than their fastball is his <laughs> So he's he's ridiculous and he's only twenty three, but part of me is like is the human body designed to be able to throw that hard? Because he's not a huge guy. So I don't know. I, I mean I hope I hope he can continue that, obviously, because he's very talented and you want to think it'd be great to see him succeed, but I just be throwing that hard for that long yeah you just kind of wonder if his uh i hope he avoids his... major yes shoulder or elbow issues in the future yeah yeah i mean you're when you throw a slider like you're snapping the baseball off so like violently and i think this like throwing a slider is feel like the people that more throw sliders more just because it's so it's so taxing on those ligaments you feel it that hard, like that just cannot yeah. be good for your elbow over a period of time. So, I don't know. I mean, I like the guy. I've I've watched him pitch the past couple of years. I know I'm on a couple of fantasy teams, so I obviously want him to keep doing well. But my common sense is thinking, and I'm a little concerned about the physics of that. But in the meantime, it's pretty amazing that. Yeah, he was able to leave an imprint of a cross on some guy's chest from a baseball that he threw in the dirt. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what it was. It was the yeah. necklace. Yeah, that's what it was. So, all right. Goodness gracious. Uh, up next, there was another just quick article um, about Adam LaRoche and the whole situation regarding why he just up and retired this spring training from the White Sox. Uh, definitely worth a read. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, but it's just... I find it very interesting that a guy would leave thirteen million on the table for the reasons that he did. I think it's great. I think it's great that he did it, but you should go ahead and read the article if you don't know why. Well, it, just like for those that haven't heard it, it's because I don't. I don't know what happened, but evidently somewhere along the lines, management told him. Evidently, his son comes and hangs out in the clubhouse a lot, and they told him that he he couldn't do that as much anymore. It's one of those situations where you, I don't know what was said, but I mean, obviously, it was the to the extent that Adam LaRoche was like, "Yeah, just, this just isn't worth it to me anymore." And a little context: I mean, he's a, I've he's a believer. He's very active in his faith, pretty genuine. You know, you have those athletes that I think you can tell, like. They talk about, you know, they give credit to the to God afterwards, but they're not they're not believers. And then he's you know, actually a believer, so he's his priorities are in a little different spot, I would say. But I mean thirteen million dollars is a lot of money. So I don't know. I don't I don't know what's going on or why ultimately he made that decision, but I mean I respect him for it if it's 
feels driven by wanting to be around his family more. He's he's a guy that's played. He's he's in his mid thirties. He's had a really long baseball career. Made multi million dollars. So he's not he's not lacking in money by any stretch. But it definitely got people talking. That's for sure. Yeah, and the article goes into a lot of um, that's the reasoning and stuff behind it. So uh, definitely worth a read. Go ahead and check it out in the show notes. And if you wanted to find the show notes, you can go to supermegacorp.net slash Mendoza slash seven. Or if you're listening on your mobile uh, phone, most likely if you just scroll under the artwork, the show notes will just magically be there right now as you listen to the show. So check that out. And then we've got one last piece of news that we need to talk about, Nick. Can we just skip this? Uh, no, no, no. This is part of the part of the burden of being a podcast host is that you have to deal with when your team gets no hit. We have to talk about it. We just have to, Nick. I'm sorry. Not not only that, but it's sixteen to nothing, no hit. <laughs> The, the most lopsided no-hitter since, like, the 1860s. Oh, my gosh. It was it was awful. And I watched most yeah. of it. I don't know why. So, for reference, Jake Arrieta of the Cubs, back on the 21st, threw a no-hitter against the Cincinnati Reds. That's the game that we're talking about. And it's the second season in a row that Arrieta has thrown a no-hitter. So, clearly the dude uh, got some skills. Yeah, it wasn't a cheapie. We got no hit by the reigning National League Cy Young, but it's more the like the entire series of just getting our brains beat in multiple times <laughs> and uh, watching our own pitchers struggle to throw strikes and then give up hits. So, yeah, it was bad. But congratulations to Jake Arrieta. He's a really good pitcher. The Cubs got him for basically nothing like three or four years ago. So I don't know what the Orioles are doing. But the good news is the Cubs don't play the Reds for another two months. So, hey, there you go. I'm feeling more optimistic already. (laughs) All right. You handled that well. We can move on. I won't make you dwell on that any longer uh nick why don't you uh tell us the first question our, our two main topics tonight are going to be questions that gary asked us via twitter um so first of all how can people find us on twitter nick and then why don't you uh lead us into your dad's questions yeah so i'm at my twitter handle is coatsy c-o-a-t-s-i-e-e and then cam is at cam brennan all one word and yeah, my dad, Gary Coates, uh, reached out to us at like, Father Figure. At Father Figure, but it's not spelled like figure doesn't have any vowels in it or something like that. But yeah, yeah, he reached out to us on. Hold Twitter. on, hold on, we're giving Gary a shout out. Hold on, he's it's at F A T H R F I G R. Okay, there you go. Father Figure. Father Figure sounds German. <laughs> I don't think we have any German heritage, but wow. anyways, so yeah, he, uh, he had a couple questions for us, which I appreciated because this is, these are things that we, uh, we discuss, but his first question, uh, was in reference to the Cubs manager, Joe Madden. And, uh, his question, uh, assuming here in the question that, uh, Joe Madden is the best manager in uh, major league baseball and why so um i guess i'll i'll jump in and you can add stuff too as well cam yeah i think just generally he's he's definitely viewed as one of the top managers in major league baseball just because of the success that he's had primarily with the tampa bay rays in the previous years before he came to chicago uh before last year but he's a guy that, <clears throat> yeah, had a lot of success with a franchise that was, you know, it's one of the lower payroll franchises, doesn't attract much in fandom to games. But, you know, it's a team that in the late 
like 2007 through, you know, even now. I mean, they've been competitive in the, the AL East with the likes of the the Yankees and Red Sox, who, you know, some of the highest spenders, most notable franchises. And, you know, he even took them to the World Series in 2008, I believe. Something around there. They played the uh, Phillies, I think, and lost. But, I mean, they're they're always in the playoffs, long stretches. The teams always did well. And I think in my my observations as to why I think he is definitely one of the best managers in Major League Baseball is just the way that he uh, treats the game, treats his players and himself, and, and that he – he realizes that the game has been played a certain way for so long. It's it's kind of interesting that most people like just assume certain things, like that you know you have one closer that pitches in the ninth and one guy that pitches in the eighth, and that certain guys you know always bat in the three hole and so on and so forth. Just a lot of just like this is how it's always been, and he's he's very quick to. Uh, shake things up if he really believes in something so you know I would say the Rays were one of the first teams that really took advantage of platoon splits so they they didn't have like the same guys playing every time you know they would play a lot of right-handers against left-handed pitchers because they would you know just over time statistically they'd have more success and vice versa you know he would bat his catcher yeah, I, mean, I think he had John Jaso for a while, who had a really high on-base percentage. He would bat him lead off occasionally. Um, when he played against National League teams, he would bat the pitcher eighth, so that um, you could get more guys above, like above the the top of the the top of the lineup hitters. Um, and then with the Cubs, one of his big things is you know every person on that team, say for probably Rizzo, can play multiple positions. So. You know, you got the rookie of the year, Chris Bryant, who doesn't, you know, for most teams, he'd just be their third baseman, right? Where, you know, he'll play him in left, he'll play him in right. He's, he can even play center field occasionally and playing third. So it's one of those things, like, I think he he doesn't let players get too comfortable in the fact that, you know, you got to be adaptable. you got to be willing to be flexible to change positions if need be. You know, the way that he handles his bullpen, it's not just like everyone has their roles. Like, you, you're you going to be ready and you're going to pitch when I call on you to pitch. And then as far as, like, just not taking himself or the game too seriously, like, they, there's always these funny stories about when they go on uh, road trips, they'll all dress up in these, like, ridiculous costumes or outfits. Like, they'll all dress up like cowboys or something. And I think that just adds a lot to obviously the team dynamic which is really important and ability to connect with your players um which i think a lot of managers struggle with and i think i think the reason my dad loves joe Madden so much is because he's so different than our manager brian price who is very kind of by the book old school uh he's kind of a player's guy like whatever a player wants or prefers like he'll cater to that especially the star players whereas like joe Mann is like no even if you're the best player on the team like you're gonna you're gonna do what's best for the team so you know all those things in com- combination with the success he's had over the last decade yeah i think makes him a really good manager and i think it's there's a lot of valuable lessons in leadership there as far as like connecting with your knowing your team knowing your the strengths and weaknesses of everybody on your team and playing to their strengths and also helping everyone buy into the team aspect of it. And at the end of the day, I mean, it's a baseball game. Like there's so much pressure on it already. Like have some fun. So I don't know if you want to add yeah. anything to that. Well, I, I, I did want to mention, and I'm glad that you did the, uh, like the goofy suits and stuff that they wear. And, and I, I think one of the, the things like that just seems like, oh, why does that make him a better manager? But it's understanding that the baseball season is so freaking long and it's it takes such a mental and physical toll on your body to do it for so long that any opportunity he can have to bring uh, a lighthearted attitude towards some of the, you know, duller stuff like traveling, 
the more impact it's going to have on the players. It's going to cause the team to gel. It's going to cause the guys to have fun. And if you can remove the annoyance of travel and that sort of stuff and at least make it entertaining, then the chances of the players being in better moods, better uh, spaces mentally, better relationally with their teammates, they probably are going to perform a little bit better. Uh, And so that I really appreciate about him. Um, And then also... It's like like everybody on the team does it. It's not just... Yeah. It's it's like the superstar to the number, like one of the lower relievers. Everyone does it. And then to your point about depth, I think it's just incredibly smart to have guys that are comfortable playing in multiple positions because when you get to playoff baseball and you get to the end of the season when guys are injured, if you have an entire season of I can play third, I can play left, I can play right, doesn't matter, or I can pitch in the fifth inning, I can pitch in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded, it doesn't matter, I'm ready to go. Like The, the more that he can do that throughout the season and have his players be used to that – the team is going to be in a better position because if a guy goes down, you've got two guys that can fill that spot and you can make that choice based on matchups or based on who's hot right now. And so it just, and then the whole, and then batting the pitcher eight. So if I can just get the pitcher kind of out of the way and have a better player at nine, the chances of getting that guy on base in front of my, you know, top of the lineup is higher, you know? Cause like, right. Say you go, you go oh for your first seven and then, your eight hitter gets on and your pitcher strikes out, well, you've wasted that base runner. But if your pitcher gets out or your pitcher gets on, then you've got a better hitter after him and then the top of your lineup. So, But just by making that simple flip, the odds say you should have, over the course of an entire season, more opportunities for the top of your lineup to move guys across the bases. So it's something that I never would have thought of because the pitcher bats ninth. That's where the pitcher bats. Um, and then when he did it, everyone's like, what the, why? No, you can't, you can't do that. Why would you do that? It doesn't make any any sense. And then you think about it, you're like, actually it percentage wise does work. So. And I I respect just his ability and willingness to think out of the box sometimes, especially if there's some legitimacy to that. And he was one of the first managers to really embrace, I think the analytics movement, and realize that there's some value and predictive value. And, you know, there's never going to be certainties in the game or else it wouldn't be fun. But there are, you know, there are some tendencies. There are some things that can be helpful in how you structure your lineup. You know, maybe not every lineup should be hitting the pitcher eighth. But, you know, if you have a good hitter um, or the way that your team is constructed, you can do that. Then, yeah, go for it if the, the stats back it up. But, you know, I think it's just uh, when you compare that to some of the old school guys or players, managers who, you know, the star player gets special treatment. They they play the same position, about the same spot. It just can cause some cause some issues. And um, if you're viewed as inflexible or not wanting to learn, like, it, I mean, for me, as far as like what I've learned in leadership is that's really important to to be able to, to be flexible and to be able to learn from mistakes and be adaptable and to connect with your, your players well, but also realize that you're the one that making the decisions and that the team is the ultimate objective and success and not uh, personal comforts and such. So yeah, I respect the guy. He, he's a good manager. I don't, I don't really have any ill will toward him at all. He's, he's a good guy. Definitely. All right, let's move on to our last question for this episode. Yeah, so the second question was, um, how much do local commentators distort how fans view their team? So much! So, so, so much. (laughs) So much. much. Yeah. So much. Especially if that person is Hawk Harrelson. (laughs) Yeah. He's on one end of the spectrum, for sure. So for yeah for yeah. us I think uh, where he this question is coming from so the Reds radio announcer Marty Brenneman he's been the radio announcer since you know mid seventies at least when the big man big red machine was was off and going but he's a he's an old he's turned into an old get off my lawn guy and 
yeah he he's always like making these comments negative comments about joey Votto and how he's selfish for not swinging you know when there's when there's runners and a scoring position you know he he walks a lot and he you know marty says that he's being selfish or he's um, that's not what he's paid to do. He's paid to drive in runs, and it's just caused. He's also he's also paid to not swing at balls. It's just caused this massive divide in the Cincinnati Reds fan base between the guys that, you know, people like me who see Joey's value and understand that he's so good at what he does, and the just countless countless idiots that think that baseball is all about um, driving in runs and. I don't even know. So, and he's just, he made some comment the other day with that new slide rule in second, you know, protecting, uh, like the, the middle infielders from, you know, when the, so the Getting runner going railroaded, in second, yeah. yeah, can't just like completely go out of the way and like kill the guy to try to break up a double play. Well, he made some comment about how it's, it's like wussifying the game of baseball. I'm just like, like, who are, who are you? Like, are you the, have you ever played a game of baseball in your life? Like, like what? What's up with these like tough guy comments? And these rules <laughs> are put in place long. because Jung Ho Gong like got his leg almost snapped in half last year, and then the Mets shortstop uh, during the playoffs last year, Chase Utley, like killed him. He <laughs> he's still out. Like he's still recovering from torn ligaments in his knee. So I mean, th- these rules are in place to like protect from like devastating injury. And it's because the guys have, you know, skirted the rules to where they're, yeah, they're trying to, like, injure people. It's just this this attitude of, like, just that generational thing again of, like, um, everything is softer now. And I don't know. He's He's got Which is ridiculous because you get off my lawn syndrome. And, yeah, yeah. It, it negatively affects the fan base. Like, well, and you think about it as, like, you know, this generation is more wussy. Well... You guys watch boxing. We have UFC, first of all, uh, and it, it it is just the 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 onset of technology and newer things that make life more convenient, like air conditioning, and that b- because we have nicer things than you know folks from previous generations didn't have when they were our age. They assume that we're mm-hmm. not all, not all of them, but the people that have this attitude, like the guy you're describing, assume that we're soft and we don't have discipline and we're unable to do the things we need to do because we rely on technology to take care of what they used to have to do manually, which is no, we're just taking advantage of what we have so that we can do other things with our time and spend less time on the stuff that we can spend less time on. Right. You know? Right. It's, I don't know, it's, it's a very interesting way to view things. I guess that's part of getting old, I guess, is you have that right to, to think that. But it, what's interesting, too, is his son. So his son, Tom Brenneman, who pretty well known, he does a lot of football games and the, a lot of NFL games, but he also does a lot of Reds TV. And he, uh, he's hilarious. Like, he, he's such a, like, moral compass guy. Like, this guy's a great guy. Like... Um, he'll, he'll talk about, you know, people in the organization just love that guy. He's, he's a top, top notch character guy and just like always waxes poetic about all these things. And I remember last year there, one of the, these, there's these two smokestacks at, uh, the, the red stadium and one of them caught on fire during the game. So these firefighters came out and put it out and he's just going on about how, these firefighters, all these these brave guys that put their their lives on the line every single day, and I remember me and my dad were talking about. It. They're like, they're just putting out this little fire, like in the middle of a baseball game. Like, yeah, like at the end of the day, like you know, firefighters, yeah, they they have a hard job, and but he's just like every little thing is like, oh. So I don't know. It's just like I think if, when you watch that enough, you just you just have this like moral compass that you feel like these certain people are above others and the other day he was complaining because there's all these Cubs fans at the Reds game and they were it was getting to be a blowout and they're all chanting let's go Cubbies and he's just like now now come on here you've got you've got this Cubs team who just was an awful team for how long 
and you know you're finally having a good year and you know you're having a good game here at, at an away you know away team's expense or home team's expense and you're you're shouting this in front of everybody like let's let's have some class here or something like that i'm just oh my gosh they're they're a bunch of drunk idiots that are like rooting for their team it has nothing to do with like i don't know it's just it's funny but well i mean my experience with hometown um announcers the uh the guys that did um uh, oh my gosh, the Tigers radio announcer for the longest. Ernie Harwell, thank you. I had to minor. He was great, but he, he was like nationally loved as a good uh, radio guy. And he's, I mean, obviously he's biased towards the Tigers. He was because that's his team. Um, and I, but I think there's, there's certain um, radio or TV uh, commentators that can be biased towards the home team but do so tactfully. Um, I'm thinking in particular of uh, the Portland Timbers, who are an MLS soccer team. Um, I love their home announce crew. The one guy's voice makes me crazy, but they're very complimentary of the opposing team. They're very uh, unbiased when it comes to foul and penalty calls. Regardless of who it is, they'll say, oh, the Timbers got away with one there, or wow, it really does look like we fouled the other team. We got lucky there. Uh, so they they go in depth about the players on their team, but they treat the opposing team with the respect that they deserve. Um, and so that's how I think it should be, is you, your knowledge base should be more biased towards your home team because you're their announcer, but you should show the other team and their players the respect they deserve because they play the game. And I think that's a very rare thing to find with local commentators. Well, I think in the same coin, like your own team, like when you're not doing well. So, you know, Marty spends a lot of time bashing Joey and uh, Jay Bruce, just other guys on the team who have struggled and uh, it's just like what is the good in that like what are, what's your ultimate objective here by just bashing these guys like i'm sure they're trying their hardest like okay like if there's a guy that just habitually is you know loafing or not giving his all then yeah i think there's some credence there but it's not i mean baseball is an extremely hard game and these guys are doing their best and you know in joey's case he knows that if he swings at bad pitches his average goes way down and he's, he's not being benefit, like a benefit to the team. You know, the benefit is for him to get on base and not make an out. So I, I just don't get the point of intentionally, you know, especially in your case, you're talking about being biased against the other team, but even just being negative towards your own team, that just spreads the negativity to your fan base. And I just, I just don't understand it. So my hope, I mean, in my personal view, that Marty retires soon and we get somebody else who, yeah, is a little bit more just call the game and, uh, you know, describe it to people who can't watch it. I think you can commend good plays on both sides, but I could do without the personal agenda or just negativity that seems to come out of the, the radio and commentators that I have the favorite team I like to follow. So, yeah, for sure. All right, well, I think that uh, that brings us to the end here, Nick. Yeah, I think that, that was a good show. Yeah, definitely. Lots of fun. Uh, if you guys, again, if you want to get in touch on Twitter, um, you can find links to our Twitter stuff in um, the show notes, which are at supermegacorp.net slash Mendoza slash seven. And thanks for listening, and we'll be back next time. Take care. Adios.